Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, music from the motion picture Howard the Duck from 1986. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The next chapter in the Star Wars saga. Revenge of the Jedi. Coming next summer to a theater in your galaxy. The final chapter of George Lucas's original Star Wars trilogy would be released on May 25, 1983. Originally titled Return of the Jedi, co-writer Lawrence Kasdan told George Lucas that he thought it was a weak title, and Lucas changed the name to Return of the Jedi eh, for a little while. In December of 1982, after teaser trailers and teaser posters were appearing in movie theaters, Lucas decided that revenge was not appropriate because a true Jedi would never seek revenge. So he decided to change the title back to Return of the Jedi. Lucasfilm would stop shipping the revenge posters and sold the remaining stock to Star Wars fan club members. Return of the Jedi would set a new domestic opening weekend record, making $23 million in its opening weekend and grossing a record $45.3 million in its opening week. By the end of its theatrical run, Return of the Jedi grossed over $314 million in the U.S. and Canada, and $480 million worldwide. Star Wars was the biggest movie franchise in the history of cinema, and with Lucasfilm and ILM, George Lucas was one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. Now that his trilogy was done, what would be next for Lucas? He hadn't directed since the first Star Wars film in 1977. He was mostly writing and producing since. He'd had massive success as the creator and producer of the Indiana Jones films as well. Its second film, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, would be the next Lucasfilm release after Return of the Jedi. He makes discoveries. Enemies. Even a few mistakes. But that's what makes life interesting. For Indiana Jones. Harrison Ford. Oh, Indy. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Rated PG. Then the next film he would produce came in 1986. The creator of the Muppets, Jim Henson. And the creator of Star Wars, George Lucas. Don't take you to a dazzling world of adventure and fantasy. You have 13 hours in which to solve the labyrinth. The world of labyrinth. Lady PG starts Friday at a specially selected theater near you. Lucas would serve as executive producer for Labyrinth. Despite being a collaboration between two of Hollywood's biggest names, Jim Henson and George Lucas, the film underperformed at the box office, grossing just $12.9 million. Labyrinth did much better overseas, grossing over $34 million worldwide. 
It was met with mixed reviews, but in the years since, thanks to its home video release and television airings, it became a cult classic. And just over a month after the release of Labyrinth, George Lucas would be the producer of the first ever Marvel movie. He's like many of us, mired in the routine of upward mobility. But all that is about to change with an unexpected trip to a place called Cleveland. A romance with a girl named Beverly. He's my boyfriend! And an adventure beyond the imagination of the average duck. The duck's a lunatic! George Lucas presents Howard the Duck, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production. The character of Howard the Duck first appeared in Marvel Comics Adventure into Fear number 19, which was cover dated December 1973. Howard was created by writer Steve Gerber and penciler Val Merrick. His first appearance was as a secondary character, with his role growing over time, eventually leading to his own comic book, simply titled Howard the Duck, in 1976. The comics followed the adventures of Howard, an ill-tempered anthropomorphic duck from the planet Duck World who was trapped on Earth. The Howard the Duck comic book performed much better than Marvel Comics anticipated. Marvel artist Frank Brunner once claimed that Howard the Duck number one was the best-selling book Marvel ever had. It did so well that in June of 1977, Howard the Duck began appearing in his own syndicated daily newspaper comic strip, but the strip had low distribution and was eventually replaced by the Incredible Hulk comic strip just over a year later. Hulk! Smash! In a 1997 interview with ManWithoutFear.com, Howard the Duck creator Steve Gerber said, quote, I had a hunch the character would be popular with fans. What caught me a little off guard was how popular it became beyond the bounds of comics fandom. The mainstream media latched onto it very quickly, and suddenly I had reporters calling me from New York Magazine, The New Yorker, The Washington Post, and so on. I knew the character would appeal to a more general readership should they ever happen to see it. I just never expected that they would. End quote. Perhaps some of this was the fact that the Howard the Duck comic book was considered by many to be the first successful title aimed at an older audience. And this older audience included musician Dean Friedman, who can be seen reading an issue of Howard the Duck on the back cover of his 1977 self-titled debut album. For the Pretender's self-titled debut album in 1979, Howard the Duck is name-dropped by singer Chrissy Hind on their single Precious. Now Howard the Duck and Mr. Stress both stayed. Trapped in a world that they never made. And another of Howard's fans was George Lucas. So let's rewind back to 1977. Star Wars, a billion years in the making, and it's coming to your galaxy this summer. While George Lucas was working on post-production for the first Star Wars movie, he often would have lunch with husband and wife Willard Hike and Gloria Katz. The three of them had attended the USC School of Cinematic Arts together, and back in 1973, the three of them were nominated for a Best Original Screenplay Academy Award 
for the film American Graffiti. American Graffiti! Baby, what's that? It's a movie! Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Go back in time! Where were you in 62? The deli where they had lunch was next to a comic book store. In Decider.com's 2016 Oral History of Howard the Duck, Willard Hike said, quote, One day we were going to be late, so he went over and bought the first issue of Howard the Duck. We had never heard of it, but he showed it to us and said, You know, this would make a great movie. We thought it was an outrageous idea. By the mid-1980s, we were pitching it to a number of studios. Because George was very hot at the time, they were very polite and interested. But Universal really wanted it. End quote. So after nearly a decade of trying to make it happen, George Lucas would finally secure the rights to Howard and get Universal to greenlight the movie. Willard Hike would direct, as well as co-write, with Gloria Katz. George Lucas had always pushed the technology of filmmaking. The Star Wars films were known for their groundbreaking special effects. With Howard the Duck, Lucas wanted to continue pushing the technology forward. 3D computer animation was still in its very early stages, but Lucas wanted to have Howard as a computer-generated character. But the technology wasn't there yet, and they eventually settled on a little person in a suit whose eyes and mouth would be controlled by a puppeteer. In the film, Howard would be propelled into outer space and eventually land in Cleveland, Ohio. Upon his arrival, he sees a woman being attacked by thugs. Howard defeats the thugs and is introduced to the woman, Beverly Switzler. She then lets Howard stay the night at her apartment. The film version of Beverly Switzler plays in a band called Cherry Bomb. Eventually, Howard becomes the band's manager, but I don't need to get into all the plot points here. All of this is leading to the reason I'm talking about this today. Nearly every young actress in Hollywood auditioned for the part of Beverly Switzler. Even singer Cindy Lauper was brought in. One of the actresses who auditioned was fresh off of a huge 1985 blockbuster. That's Calvin Klein. Oh my God, he's a dream. Leah Thompson had starred as Lorraine Baines McFly in Back to the Future and made a fan out of George Lucas. Because they needed someone who could also sing and dance, Thompson fit the part. Here's Leah Thompson in the A Look Back at Howard the Duck featurette. When I got the part, they sent me a bunch of the comic books, which I thought were hilarious and really funny and irreverent. And, um, and I read the script. It was a very, very, very hot project at the time. I beat out a lot of girls. I mean, plus I got to play a rock star, which was really fun. I really wasn't a singer, and I had to work really hard. They, they worked me every single weekend, and they kept threatening me that they might not let me really do the singing. Even halfway through the shooting, I don't think they were entirely convinced whether they were going to keep my voice, and they did. And I was a dancer. I grew up as a ballet dancer, so the dance part was fun and easy, except for I had a very, very heavy guitar that I had to play, with, and it kept bashing me in the leg. So, let's do it. Let's officially jump into the music, because of course, the film had a soundtrack. In 1986, music from the motion picture Howard the Duck was released on MCA Records. What do you let it lick you like that for? Gross. To write and produce the songs by the fictional band Cherry Bomb, Thomas Dolby was brought in. Dolby is probably best known for his 1982 single, She Blinded Me With Science. Science. 
Here's more from Willard Hike and Gloria Katz in the A Look Back at Howard the Duck featurette. Tom Dolby was great. He was our music director, and he worked with the group, and he put together a group that I thought was good. You know, he did sort of avant-garde rock and roll, and so he was there almost the whole time helping us do the musical score and helping choreograph all the movements. In 1983, Thomas Dolby collaborated with multiple artists for an occasional project he would call Dolby's Cube. Dolby's Cube didn't have a set lineup and was basically a place for Dolby to release more dance-oriented music. The songs on the Howard the Duck soundtrack are credited to Dolby's Cube and Cherry Bomb. And the album begins with Hunger City. While Thomas Dolby is the sole credited producer and arranger of the soundtrack, he's not the only co-writer of the songs. His co-writer for these was someone I've talked about on the show several times in the past, Songwriting Hall of Famer Allie Willis. Willis is probably best known as the co-writer of Earth, Wind & Fire's Boogie Wonderland and September, as well as one of the most iconic TV theme songs of all time. Up next is the song, Howard the Duck. The song is the only one with one more additional co-writer, who also provided some backing vocals on the track, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and pioneer of funk, George Clinton. In Decider.com's oral history of Howard the Duck, George Clinton said, quote, That was an interesting time, working with Thomas Dolby and the girls. He and I had done something together on his album. We were both on Capitol and then he got commissioned to do Howard the Duck. He had some futuristic sounds and ideas, end quote. Howard the Duck was also released as a single and had a music video. The next song, Don't Turn Away, is credited solely to Thomas Dolby as the performer. No cherry bomb on this one. Although, the song does appear in the movie with Cherry Bomb performing it. But that's not the version we hear on the soundtrack. The song also features a surprising guest musician on harmonica, Stevie Wonder. And when the world's too big to take on your shoulders. 
In addition to Leah Thompson, the other members of Cherry Bomb were Liz Segal as Rosette, Dominique Davalos as Cal, and Holly Robinson Pete, although then just Holly Robinson, as KC. All of the members of Cherry Bomb would do their own singing on the soundtrack. In the oral history of Howard the Duck, Holly Robinson Pete said, quote, It was my last year at Sarah Lawrence in New York. I wanted to be a singer at the time. My mother, Dolores, was a very high-end manager and represented everyone from Wesley Snipes to Martin Sheen. I wasn't really looking to get in the business, but my mom called and said, here's a part where you could play a member of a band. End quote. A year after Howard the Duck, Holly Robinson Pete would become a cast member on the Fox series 21 Jump Street and later a cast member on the ABC sitcom Hanging with Mr. Cooper before eventually becoming a short-lived co-host on the CBS daytime talk show The Talk. Another Cherry Bomb band member was played by Liz Segal. She and her sister Jean once served as the Doublemint twins in a Doublemint gum ad campaign. And she's also the older sister of actress and former Bizarre Album subject Katie Segal. Liz Segal also appeared in the films Flashdance and Grease 2. Where does the pollen go? The other member of Cherry Bomb, Cal, was played by Dominique Davalos. She's an actress and bass player who was in the 80s synth-pop band Dominatrix. In 1984, Dominatrix had a controversial music video for their single The Dominatrix Sleeps Tonight. While it's tamed by today's standards, the video featured a scantily clad Davalos. MTV refused to air the video, and radio stations even banned the single. However, the single did still manage to get to number two on the dance charts. Cherry Bomb is back with Dolby's Cube to perform It Don't Come Cheap. This is another song that also features a somewhat surprising guest musician, another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Joe Walsh. The Eagles guitarist also appeared on the Howard the Duck song from earlier on the soundtrack as well. Side one closes with I'm On My Way, credited to Dolby's Cube featuring Tata Vega. Tata Vega was perhaps best known for her solo albums on Tamla Records in the late 70s, in addition to being one of the most successful session singers of today, and has sung backup for artists such as Iggy Azalea, Elton John, Madonna, Michael Jackson, and many more. Side two of the soundtrack is just the film's score by John Barry, a Grammy and Academy Award-winning composer best known for his James Bond scores. 
Nothing exactly bizarre here on side two, but uh, let's just get a little taste. Okay, that's enough. Director Willard Hike has said that Thomas Dolby was originally intended to do the film's score, but instead only worked on the Cherry Bomb songs. In 2019, an expanded three-CD version of the soundtrack, featuring more of John Barry's score, was released on Intrada Records. That version doesn't appear to be streaming currently, but the original version of the soundtrack is available on Spotify. Despite having so many big names involved in the film, Howard the Duck was a failure with critics and audiences. It's considered by many to be one of the worst films ever made. However, it has developed a bit of a cult following. So much of a cult following that in 2014, director James Gunn snuck Howard the Duck into a post credit scene in the first Guardians of the Galaxy film, a movie that stars Chris Pratt, who's another actor who's played in a fictional band, though his was on television, Parks and Rec. The band was called Mouse Rat, and Mouse Rat's The Awesome Album was released in 2021 on Dual Tone Records. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums.